last week's uh, message was to kind of paint the picture that we have of our two characters, Saul and David. And the sermon series is called Saul and David. Um, So last time, three weeks ago, we had a glimpse into Saul's life and how his kingdom, his authority, his status, his everything was dissolving in front of his very eyes as people were starting to love David more. And remember that last time, David had just killed Goliath and he came back to the city a war hero. So everyone was like, uh, David is so great. David has killed his 10,000s and Saul has killed his thousands. But <clears throat> Saul was no happy with this. And when he realized that he was losing the popularity contest, he started to uh, try to grasp hold of David. So he started out by throwing the spear at, not to kill him, but to pin him to the wall. And he missed, and then David ran away. And then Michal is actually Saul's daughter. Um, If that wasn't enough for Saul, David married his daughter. So now Saul lost his kingdom to David. He lost his son, because Jonathan definitely likes David more than Saul. And he lost his daughter. Um... So slowly but surely, Saul is really, really, really starting to hate David. He's really grinding his gears. Um, And, you know, because of the way that Saul was living, because of the way that Saul was transactional with God, he wasn't relational with God, um, he was doing all these things alone. He did not have God on his side anymore, unlike David, who did have God on his side. So that kind of paints the image as a very quick introduction to our passage today and our passages moving forward. So Saul, no good because he doesn't have the Lord and because he's crazy. David, good guy, until maybe he makes some mistakes later, but we'll read about that later. Um, so that's where we lead to our passage today, where um, we see David is still in the kingdom and he's still kind of, he's kind of navigating what to do about Saul who's trying to kill him. Um, And to kind of go through our passage, you know, chronologically, basically what happens is Jonathan, who's David's best friend, um, he goes to Saul and he's like, Saul, you can't kill David. He's a hero and he did nothing wrong to you. And for a little bit, Saul was like, oh yeah, you're right. I, I shouldn't kill him. So you know what? I promise David will not die. And then he's like, great. So he tells David, he's like, David, we're good. You can go back to the kingdom with Saul and you should be okay. And then they go to war with Philistines again. Is it the Philistines? Yeah, with the Philistines again, who again is from, is where Goliath was from. So they fight Philistines again. David beats them a second time. Then he comes back to the kingdom and we read that Saul tried to pin him to the wall again with the spear. Um, Obviously, this frightened David and Saul was like, nope, Still going to kill this guy. Still hate him. And then Michal, Saul's daughter and David's wife, was like, David, you got to go. Like, if you, if you don't leave by tomorrow morning, you will die. Um, and she does this, like, movie, children's movie move where she stuffs a pillow with goat's hair, covers a blanket on it, and puts a picture of David in the bed. And Saul comes up and he's like, give us David. And then Michal rolls the bed over uncovers the bed and it's like a picture of David which they didn't even have pictures so it's like a drawing of David I guess and then covered with goat hair and Saul is like why did you deceive me um did you really think this would work so um that's essentially 
like the story of what we have today. And we can see from what we have read that, or at least I, I hope it's kind of clear that Saul is a little unreasonable in his hatred for David. Right? I, I think when we read this passage, we should, we should ask, why is Saul acting this way? It seems a little immature. Right? I, I think it's, sure, he got jealous of David. Like, sure, he doesn't like the fact that his son likes him more, his daughter is married to him, his kingdom likes David more. But um, jealousy, at least from our standards, shouldn't be a big enough reason to drive someone to want to kill literally the hero of Israel. Um, it, it, it feels like it's either Saul's the pettiest person on planet Earth or there's something deeper happening in Saul's heart that we are not considering. And I think the more likely scenario is that second one. Um, so as, as we go into this passage, I think the issue with Saul is not just the fact that he is insecure. It's not just the fact that he's jealous, but it is much bigger than him and it's much bigger than us. Um, and I think the biggest issue with Saul, and I said this a little bit in the beginning, but the biggest issue with Saul was that the presence of the Lord was not with him like he used to be. So remember, uh, or if you don't know, when Saul was made king, God was looking for the first king of Israel. And he said, there is a guy who is very good looking, very tall, very strong, and I will make him king. And that turned out to be Saul. And in the beginning, Saul was very good and God was with him. Then it became obvious that Saul started to not be so good of a king. And he started to, you know, do things his own way, stopped praying, stopped consulting the Lord for decisions. And that snowballed into God saying, I regret making, king, making Saul king. And the ultimate result of this was God took his presence away from Saul. And for the rest of the passages that we will read about Saul, we have to understand that this is under the premise of Saul not having the presence of the Lord. Um, and I, I think that's a very big deal. And that is basically our main point for today, which is without the presence of the Lord, we are hopeless. Without the presence of the Lord, we are, we are hopeless. And I think this hopelessness uh, comes to manifest in at least in this passage, it manifests itself in three ways. Okay, the first way that Saul showed his hopelessness was we and Saul easily fall into sin. We easily fall into sin without the presence of the Lord. Okay, so we notice in our passage today that in verse uh, nine, it says this, then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped to the, uh, that night. If you were here three weeks ago, you may consider this passage, that verse, somewhat familiar to what we read last chapter, in chapter 18. Um, in chapter 18, it says in verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And this, and uh, he day by day. 
And he did day by day, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Huh. Is this a coincidence that a harmful... <laughs> Hannah's like, no, no, no. Is this a coincidence that this harmful spirit of Saul, of God, came upon Saul in a very similar wording, and I, I, don't, I haven't taken Hebrew yet, but I bet if I read the Hebrew, it would be almost verbatim of what happened last chapter. And now the question is, why did Saul hurl the spear at David? What is this harmful spirit that came upon Saul? So what happened before Saul threw the spear? Um, in our passage today, verse 8, And there was war again, and David went out and fought the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. So again, similar to last chapter, David went in chapter 18 to defeat Goliath and defeated the Philistines. He came back and people were happy. And Saul was jealous. Same exact freaking thing, same exact people that he fought happened in this chapter. David went out and defeated the Philistines. It doesn't say in this passage, but I can almost guarantee flipping T that when he came back, people were like, dude, David beat the Philistines twice. He two-peated them. This guy is really no joke. He's, he's good. He's a big deal. Better than Saul. For sure, better than Saul. And when we read the line, a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. I wonder if that spirit is the uh, a spirit of like Saul. You see, you see these people looking at David. You see these people loving David more than you. You're really gonna let them love you, love them more than you. Um, and, it, and it filled him with such rage. It filled him with such jealousy that he hurled a spear at David twice. <laughs> Actually, three times, because twice in the first time, one time here. Um, and if you, if you know a little bit about Saul, one of the most prominent sins that Saul exhibits in his life was that he was very, very prideful, very, very obsessed with himself, and it, it is this very pride and self-obsession that is leading him into this place of insecurity and in this place of jealousy, right? Imagine being the king of Israel and then some chump, scrawny little kid comes in, defeats a nation twice, and everyone loves him more than you. Um, and remember, all of this, again, under the premise that Saul does not have the uh, presence of the Lord with him. But if Saul had God on his side, I wonder what the Lord would have said to Saul. Um, and actually, I don't need to wonder, but because I think what Jesus says in the book of Matthew does, or if God were with Saul, I feel like God would say what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 to 31 Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. I really feel like if the presence of the Lord never left Saul, he would have communicated something like this to him. He's like, Saul, what are you doing? You are worried over such little things. They're big to you, but they're not 
They're, they're so small. Consider the lilies. And are you not worth more than these lilies? Uh, these sparrows, not lilies. But instead of this voice that we hear from Jesus, the voice that Saul got in his head, the voice that I'm sure was repeating over and over again in his head was, you are not good enough. You need to take care of David yourself. You need, you, you're better than this, Saul. You, you, should, you should do something about it. For Saul, he easily and repeatedly, and not just in this passage, not just in our previous passage, but over and over and over again, he repeatedly falls into his sin of pride, of jealousy, of rage. And even though that is very specific to Saul, that is very specifically tailored to Saul, I, I feel like the message is same for us. Right? Without the presence of the Lord communicating to us the truth of the gospel, without the presence of the Lord telling us, are you not worth more than two sparrows? Are you not worth more than even my own son that I did not withhold to save you? Sorry, not worth more. Are you not worth so much to me that I would not withhold my son to save you? Without the presence of the Lord to communicate these things to us constantly, we are hopeless. We are hopeless because we will always be listening to that voice in our head or to the voices of others. And it may sound really similar to Saul. It may sound different for you. Um, and when, we, when, we, when that happens, we easily fall into our own sin, just like Saul did. Um, the second display of hopelessness that Saul did, that Saul had, we are easily deceived without the presence of the Lord. We are easily deceived. Uh, without, the, without the presence of the Lord revealing to us the truth, we will never know what is the lie and what is the truth, and therefore we are hopeless. We are hopeless without knowing the truth, and we need the presence of the Lord to tell us the truth. So Saul, when he went to find David that night, he's like, take him out so I can kill him. And he fell for literally the easiest trick in the book, a comedic timing, a comedic relief movie scene where she rolls a bed with nothing but goat's hair and a picture of Saul, a picture of David. Saul fell for that. He wasted his time. Right? He was deceived by such, such like a stupid, trivial thing that it really makes you be like, dude, this guy is king. Like this guy has been ruling Israel for the last however many years. But obviously Saul was in the wrong for wanting to kill David. So it's kind of a good thing that Saul was deceived, right? Because we're kind of on David's side in this narrative. So technically we should be like, okay, good. Saul got deceived, right? But I, I feel like imagine if God were on Saul's side in the scenario, Imagine if the presence of the Lord went with Saul as he was looking, I guess probably not for David, but for anyone. God probably would have said like, Saul, open your eyes. Are you kidding me? This is a pillowcase with goat's hair, you fool. But the fact of the matter is, Saul did not have God. He did not have the presence of the Lord on his side. And therefore, he was able to be deceived by, by anything and everything. 
even something as stupid as this dummy David. Um, and I, I think the, this idea of being deceived by, um, by things goes all the way back to creation. Being deceived is not an unfamiliar territory for anyone. Right? It goes all the way back to Eve when the serpent tempted Eve and, she, and, she, and the serpent said, did God really say that you will surely die if you touch of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said, no, I, I, can, I can touch it. I just, I just can't eat it. And then uh, the serpent continued to lie to Eve and eventually she ate it. And kind of, kind of to, to go into this tangent of being deceived, I'll say this. Um, some people don't know why they can't discern the truth from the lies. Some people don't know, like, oh, how do, I, how do I know if I'm being lied to? Like, Satan's so good at lying. If he's literally the prince of the world, as the Bible says, if he's literally too cunning for even the original human beings to be fooled by, how am I supposed to know when I'm being lied to? Right, people, but I think I'm here to say that people don't know the lies because they do not know the truth. People can't discern the lies they hear because they do not know the truth. And what is the truth? What is, how do we know what the truth of God is? That is through his word, right? And if you were to follow me down this rabbit hole, what is God's word? A better question is who is God's word? Right? In John chapter 1, 1, it says that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is God's word. And if Jesus Christ is God's word, and if Jesus is also God, when we say we love God, we have to mean that we love Jesus. And if we say that we love Jesus, we have to mean that we love God's word. That means we cannot forego this book that I hold in my hands. We can't just say, only my relationship with God is the important thing. I don't need to know more about him as long as my heart with him. If, if you were like seconds away from dying and you just became a Christian, sure, I guess you found the loophole. <laughs> but if you are living a life as a Christian and you say that you love Jesus, you cannot, you cannot live without loving and adhering to and following the Bible, the holy book of the Lord. It just doesn't happen that way. And if one, not you, if one were to ignore the Bible and if one were to not know the word of the Lord, boom, you fall for the pillowcase with the goat hair trick, the old goat hair gimmick. Without the presence of the Lord, without the word of the Lord, we end up like Saul, hopelessly deceived by anything and everything. Um, and the third and last way that Saul exhibited hopelessness is that Saul and we are easily discouraged. Oh, no, no, no. We were easily discouraged. We easily discourage and we easily deceive. So Saul discouraged, Saul was discouraged and Saul was deceived. Even worse, Saul discouraged and Saul deceived. <laughs> Not only was he the recipient, he's the, the doer 
the bringer, um, which is arguably worse than being the recipient. So in our passage today, Saul promised Jonathan that he wouldn't kill David. Um, Where's the verse? In verse six, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. If any time someone in the Old Testament or in the Bible says, as surely as the Lord lives, they're basically saying, this, as, this is not going to happen on my watch. Right? So Saul said, as surely as the Lord lives, Saul, David will not be put to death. Three verses later, Saul, Saul sent mercenaries to kill him. Jonathan, in this example, is weird saying my own name. Jonathan was a mediator between Saul and David. Jonathan said, Saul, David is innocent. David did so many good things. David saved this people. David is the right guy. No, <laughs> David is a good guy. Don't waste your time killing innocent blood like David. Um, and Saul lied to even his own son. His own son, he said, you know what? I'm not going to kill David. Then he went to kill David. Imagine how his son felt. Imagine how Jonathan felt. It's like, man, I can't even trust the word of my father who's supposed to be not only my father, but the king of Israel. Talk about daddy issues, you know? I thought I had a bad. <laughs> Sorry. Ah! Not having the presence of the, God, of the Lord not only made it hopeless for Saul himself, but it caused him to hurt those around him. So Saul easily deceived. Now Saul easily discouraged because, again, Saul tried to kill David. If that's not discouraging, I don't know what is. Right? The lack of the presence of God caused Saul to spew out sin into the lives of others. Um, if you are scared by the three things that I said, if what I said to you is like, oh man, that's bad. That sounds bad. I don't, I don't want that. Then I think that's a good thing. Right? I, I think it is important for us to recognize the reality of the sin in our lives and the reality of life without the presence of the Lord. So we, as the main point is, we are hopeless without God. Hopeless without the presence of the Lord. These are three big examples. But thankfully, thankfully, where Saul failed time and time again, where Saul failed, the Lord succeeded. Saul was mocked. Saul lost everything, lost everyone on his side. Jesus experienced the same thing. The very people he came to save, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They laughed at him. They beat him. They whipped him. They fed him vinegar and wine. And what did Jesus do? Jesus prayed for them. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What did Saul do? He tried to kill the only good person that was in Israel. 
not the only, but one of the only good people in Israel. Saul was deceived. When it's the serpent, when Satan himself came to deceive Jesus. And he tried to tempt Jesus by saying, turn this stone into bread, throw yourself off the cliff and let the angel save you. Bow down to me and I'll give all these things to you. Jesus was not deceived. Jesus would not have fallen for the bed with the goat's hair. He wouldn't let alone the king of lies himself, Satan. And lastly, Jonathan was a mediator for Saul and David. Jesus is the mediator for us and God. Where Saul failed to be mediated to David, right? Saul was kind of on the right track. He almost had it, but then he tried to kill David in the end. He failed. The Lord did not and he will not fail because Jesus is our great mediator. Unlike Saul, who will go back on his word and kill the person he said he won't kill, God, when he sees us, and he sees Jesus mediating for us, and he says, I will not kill this person. I will, not, I, will not, I will relinquish my judgment on this person. That is not a wishy-washy thing. That is a guarantee for life. Um, and unlike Saul, God does not deceive God does not discourage and he will keep us forever. So yes, without the presence of the Lord, we are hopeless. But ever since Jesus gave himself for us, ever since that day, we will never be without the presence of the Lord. So you can basically ignore everything that I said in this whole sermon because it doesn't apply to us anymore. Right? With, the, with the power of the presence of the Lord, we can't be deceived. We can't easily fall into sin. And we are able to not hurt others with the sins of our own because of the righteousness that Jesus covers for us. And John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Children of God do not need to worry if the presence of the Lord is with them. And I'll end with this. Um, if you're asking yourself, if I struggle with these things, if I struggle with being deceived, if I struggle with a sin, if I struggle, if I've hurt others in the past, does that mean that I don't have the presence of the Lord? Um, does that mean that I, the presence of the Lord is not with me? Am I, am I Saul 2.0? Um, and I think the answer that, that we get from scripture is no matter who we are and no matter where we are, we will experience a similar life to Saul. 
we will experience similar struggles. We will go through the same similar things that he will go through. Hopefully not trying to kill someone, but something along the lines of that. But the difference, the difference between us and Saul, the difference between us and every single person who did not have the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament is that we will not be judged for the mistakes that we make. We will sin, easily sin. We will hurt others. I think I said we can't before. Sorry, take that back. We will do that. But the difference is because of the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins, when God sees us, he does not see the sins that we have committed like he did for Saul. He does not look at us and say, I regret choosing this person like I did for Saul. But instead, he sees his son. And he sees Jesus. And Jesus says, I died for this person. Do not kill an innocent man. So for us, don't let your defining moments be the struggles that you experience. Don't let your defining moments be the sin that you have been struggling with. The ones that you repeat in your head, the ones that you regret so bad. Don't let your defining moments even be the ways that you've hurt others with your sin. If you are a child of God and if the presence of the Lord is with you, your defining moment is that Jesus has called you his. Your defining moment is that you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Let's pray. Lord, may, may this message and may the Spirit convict us. And I pray that when we hear these words, we don't react in a way where it's like, oh, so I can do whatever I want now. But these words will open our eyes to say, wow, you really are amazing, God. You really would save a sinner wretched like me. You really would make a way so that I can live and experience life with you. And that reaction, I pray, would cause us to desire to live a life for you. I pray that that would cause us to desire to know you deeper, to go deeper with you, to not be complacent in our faith, to not be complacent even in Crossway, but to look to you and say, you have done this for me, what can I do for you, Lord? So as your presence leaves with us today, I pray that we do not forget it. I pray that we would remember and know that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And that we would live in the days of your Lord, in the house of your Lord, in your house, O Lord, all the days of our life. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.